Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Agency Unfiltered, the HubSpot Solutions Partner Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Dunn, and Agency Unfiltered is a weekly web series and podcast that interviews the owners, founders, and executives of agencies and services providers from around the world about whatever it takes to grow and scale. Episodes can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts. Today on the show, we have on Luke Trowin, Managing Director at Modern Visual. Here on Agency Unfiltered, we love a good origin story. And what's great about Modern Visual's humble beginnings, Luke's very first official office job was taking on the website projects that were the catalyst for Modern Visual. And now, his team is an elite tier, accredited HubSpot Solutions partner. So Luke walks us through the beginning, when and how he decided to leave his factory job to start Modern Visual. Was it always the plan, and how did he know it was time to dip his toe into managed services? Luke then walks us through his process for identifying what to go to market with. Were they things that he was already good at, things that he was passionate about, or was it both? And as Modern Visual grew, what happened when clients were looking for something outside of his team's existing purview? He also shares his strategy for growing his org chart over time and what roles, responsibilities, and candidate profiles he prioritized. He then shares his perspective on the organic growth the team saw over time and the key levers that he had to pull to make it happen. Specifically, Luke shares the value and impact he found when working with a business coach. And he shares the specifics into what he would receive coaching on, how the relationship was structured, and what that coaching relationship looks like today. Spoiler alert, his longtime business coach may now be in the Modern Visual org chart. Another edition of Agency Unfiltered begins right now. Hey, Luke, welcome to Agency Unfiltered. How are we doing? Yeah, good, Kevin. What about yourself? Uh, not too bad. I mean, this is about as drastic of a time zone difference as you can get, I think, for this. Uh, I believe your day is just getting started, potentially, and you're in the future. You're Friday. Yeah, yeah. I'm sitting fine. here wrapping up my Thursday, right? <laughs> I had to jump on my kangaroo bean from Australia to get to work this morning. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, you know, at this point, you know, as you start to book, you know, try and make the time zones work, you start to book in the evening. Uh, you're all that stands between me and I think the first, uh, the first happy hour beer of the evening. So looking forward to that. Let's make this as efficient as possible. Yeah. Okay. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, this has been another episode. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so Luke, we are here to talk about, well, clearly your team at Modern Visual. Uh, but honestly, I don't think we do too, too many origin stories on this podcast. It's not to say we don't want to, just we don't normally um, but I think there's a really compelling and unique origin story as it relates to modern visual, uh, especially as you start to think uh, and start to look at, I don't know, some of the awards and distinctions that that your team has gotten through this year. Obviously, we've seen the elite tier badge come through. You've been issued one of the accreditations. So uh, uh, starting at the the humble beginnings and how it all came to be and, and kind of walking us through the journey to, to this level of distinction uh I can imagine there's going to be a number of uh, nuggets and experiences and sound bites and, and things that you've lived that will be helpful for our listeners. So I'm excited to dive in. 
Yeah, I've got I've got a pretty interesting and unique story to tell today, and I'll keep it as short as I can and as valuable as I can. <laughs> um, but but long story short, um, this this business is my first office job. So I actually worked in a factory uh, as a printer, uh, running a printing press for for many years, and I guess my passion really shines through in this business. And I started um, my journey very early on, um, being very interested in computers, um, interested in technology. The mid nineties, um, I couldn't stay away from my dad's work computer that he got. He was national sales manager at 3M, uh, the, the post-it note yeah. company. And uh, the IT department there kept saying to my dad, Mark, you've got to keep your son away from this computer. He keeps ruining this computer. Hmm. So, so I had a, a real obsession with technology from a very early age. And in the early 2000s, as a young teenager, probably 12, 13, uh, I, I basically built a large number of websites. I played online games. I built an MSN Messenger robot that got quite popular. For those who remember MSN Messenger, uh, the OG. And yeah, yeah. All the that, way back machine of the internet, you know, you can, yeah, yeah. yeah ASL, ASL, for those that remember that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and all of that stuff I did back then was just purely passion and fun driven. And I always had that in me, but then reality sunk in and I became a sort of, you know, middle-aged teenager and I had to get a job. I was told by my mum, you know, you're not doing that well at school. Um, it's time you get a job. So I actually dropped out of school um, very early and uh, ended up getting, as I said, a, a job in the printing industry. I did a, what we call here in Australia an apprenticeship in printing. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, yeah, I did that for, for many years. And after a bit of time, it really felt like Groundhog Day working in a factory. It was the same thing over and over. It was an early start, a lot of overtime, you know, a lot of grinding. And, you know, they were really lovely people to work for. But at the best of times, it was quite strict. And sure. that just didn't fit my my um, my use case of what I was after out of my life. So a day, a day came by where I was walking out of the office and my boss, who I got along with really well, said, hey, Luke, you're into these computers and stuff, aren't you? I just had this website built. What do you think this is worth? Is it any good? And I said, oh. Hmm. Yeah, it looks right. He goes, what would you pay for that? And I said, oh, 500 bucks. And he said, I just pay six grand. And my eyes lit up and I said, wow. And I go, are you happy? He goes, yeah, it looks great. I'm like, oh, okay. So I walked out the door with this <laughs> massive light bulb above my head going, he just paid more than my monthly salary. And I know how to build websites. I did those when I was a teenager. Yeah, I and can do that. Yeah. yeah. Sure. yeah. So, so to keep the story short, I went home very quickly and looked up on Google how to build websites. And I was doing them back in the day when we used Dreamweaver and we used um, Front Page and you know all the old builders. And um, I, I looked up this thing called WordPress. I'm like, what's WordPress? And this was 2013, 2014. And mm -hmm. obviously around for a little bit of time at that stage. And I just wasn't in, in that scene. And I very quickly decided that I wanted to start doing these websites on the side of my day job for extra income. And after about 12 months of doing websites on the side, I was actually able to leave that job full time because I was able to replace my income with the website work and I, oh, I had, had a, grown to that point yeah where you could make yeah. the switch oh yeah yeah and I, I had a mortgage I had a car loan I had a lot of responsibility but I managed to again replace my my wage or my salary so so that's what allowed me to start modern visual and that was in 2014 and uh, it started as a humble web hosting and design business and very quickly we started offering uh, further services as our clients uh, requested so so I can dive into that if that's helpful yeah, you know, I'd be curious, um, was there a moment in which, and maybe it's when you decided to, all right, I have to leave this job and I've replaced my salary, this will be my full-time game, when it, it became, you know, all right, I'm just doing these web hosting projects, I'm working these um, these website builds, oh, but now it's, oh no, this is, a, this is a services provider, I'm an agency, or you know what I mean, like when was that 
transition uh, of a mindset. Um, and then I think you alluded to this too, and this will be interesting. Uh, how did you expand the library or catalog of services from there? It sounds like maybe client asks uh, was definitely a way to generate that. But where did where did an evolving uh, menu of services come from uh, as well? Yeah, good question. And I think for context sake, when I went full-time in the business, I hired my first employee after three months of being full-time. And the way I was able to do that was through um, hiring someone quite affordably that was very keen, but a little bit unskilled uh, as a web mm -hmm. designer. And I put a lot of time into training him, but equally with him now in the business, that allowed me to cold call, it allowed me to reach out to my network. And that was what really grew that business in the early day was that days was that networking and that cold calling I you know the amount of times I, I would ring someone they go oh that's cute that you're doing that you know good luck <laughs> on your journey and you know because I was just this kid having a really good go at it and yeah where were you focusing your efforts just any local business looking up websites somebody that could use a refresh where were you who were you cold calling into yeah I, I would choose a vertical for the day and I would go on Google and I would look up those businesses and I would just hammer the phones hammer the phones and rejection yeah. after rejection after rejection and um, and that was one part of it. And the other part of it was the easier part, which was tapping into friends and family through Facebook and, you know, sure. my, my, I guess my internal network. And, and that's what really fueled the business in the early days. And leading to your question, uh, one of my, um, my friends in my network, um, he was a little bit older than me, um, but he had started the business and it was quite successful in the, in the motocross industry. And, um, he actually was an advocate to get me in for his, um, into his business to actually do, uh, email marketing, to do social media management. And I happen to have a friend that did a lot of that for fun on the side of his day job. And he he actually worked in wholesale lighting <laughs> and he just happened to be very good. He had pages with millions of followers on Facebook that he'd grown. And um, this, this this contract that my friend was able to give me with his business enabled me to hire my second employee, which was my friend that ran social media. And that's what opened us up to offering more services like, again, mm. social media management, email marketing. Um, and, and long story short, that's really how we were able to evolve into offering further services from the web design and web hosting, simply by hiring people that knew how to offer those services and, you know, using my network to build income that's going to support those wages. And, you know, it wasn't all about high profit. It was really about building the business. And that's what yeah. it was about in those early days. Um, as you began folding in some of these services, maybe the team's growing a little bit, the size or the quantity of clients or like, you know, customers that you're working with is growing. How much of a challenge was it uh, uh, keeping track of the books and finances and payments and, uh, you know, payables and receivables? Uh, how did you handle the finances of the early days? I was very, very, very lucky. My wife was actually a bookkeeper for 10 years and she- Talk about stars aligning. That's perfect. Oh, absolutely. Yep. And yeah. business is a big part luck. I'll always say that. And it, it's skill and luck. Um, but yes, my, my wife very fortunately ran my books from day one. Um, one of the lessons in that though is that she's not a CFO. She's a very good bookkeeper and she's amazing mm -hmm. what she does. However, the thing that caught me out was I, I assumed that a bookkeeper was someone that kept track of the success of your finances as well. And I learned the hard way that that wasn't the case. Um, however, another stroke of luck, I managed to get a, a free business coaching lesson through our local city council. And hmm. this guy um, was phenomenal. And I had a one hour session and um, he, he the biggest takeaway from that session was that we didn't have a point of difference. We were like every other agency out there. We were offering you know the same as agency A, B, C, D. And, and that really clicked with me. And um, I asked him if I could further engage him past this free session. And he said, oh, you'll have to ask the council for my details. I can't <laughs> directly give them to you. And this guy was a real life changer for me. And, you know, he became my business coach. And 
um, winding the clock to today, he's actually now an employee of Modern Visual and he's our general manager. So he hmm. had a lot of love for what we're doing and he's been a big part of this business. And and again, now he's come on board as, a, as an employee and really I couldn't have done what I've done with Modern Visual without his support over the years. Um, he actually has a, an IT financial services background. So hmm. when it comes then to the actual finances of the business, he's played that mini virtual CFO role for us over the years as well as being my business coach. That's so um, so that, that's been a phenomenal stroke of luck, I'll call it. But you create your own luck, right? End of the day, you, you, you're networking with enough people and you know adding value to other people's lives and naturally they want to give value back a lot of the time. That's right. Uh, two follow-up questions. Um, what was the, uh, he had suggested, uh, hey, you need a point of distinction between you know the saturated market of agencies. What did you land on? What was your, what was your difference? What was your distinction? Yeah. So he actually became a big part of our point of difference. So we ended up offering a lot of marketing services. We ended up offering Google ads, SEO, social media, websites, web design, email marketing, you name it. And we became a full service agency. He actually um, allowed us to offer business coaching as part of our marketing packages. So, you know, one of the challenges we have with a lot of our clients, because they were put on a small business at the time, they, they weren't really great at following up leads, they didn't have sales processes, things like that. So having coaching services tied with the marketing services really allowed us to provide that full end-to-end um, conversion rate optimization, I'd call it, um, after the traffic comes through. So so that became our point of difference and that, that mm. worked really well. And that then led into when we became a HubSpot partner. And the first 12 months of us becoming a partner, we were kind of on the iceberg of not being a marketing agency. We decided we didn't really like marketing. We we're really loving the mm. consulting element and the technical element of what we did. And um, HubSpot changed- Ahead of your time. Absolutely. And HubSpot at that moment in time had changed it from an agency partner to a solutions partner from a terminology perspective. And that just married up so well with the transition we were going through as a business. And it all came into place at that moment. That's great. You know, it's it's funny. So, hey, listen, um, you need a point, Luke, you need a point of you know, differentiation, you need a point of distinction. You're like, oh, well, I'm just going to productize uh, the coaching that you offer and we'll do that for our clients. That <laughs> works out really well. Uh, let me ask you this. You've found success in engaging with a business coach uh, and it's yielded tremendous results for both you and for Modern Visual. Should every solutions partner go seek their own business coach? What's the determining factors? Who's the good fit? What What's the mindset? What do they need to know? Or what are the challenges that they should be hoping to solve? Who's a good fit for seeking out a business coach the way in which you did? I think it comes down to your personal mindset. So for example, I worked in a factory, as I mentioned earlier, for many yeah. years, and this was my first office job. So a lot of agency owners have no doubt worked in other agencies prior or other businesses where they've had that experience of how they do things. I actually think it's a good thing that I started as a blank canvas so we can be very unique in our approach yeah. to running this business. Um, it does hurt at times not having that prior experience because you've got to learn the hard way, but that's where a coach can fill those gaps where you don't have that skill at the moment. And, you know, I've had about two or three coaches um, while Joe's worked with us. And, you know, one was more of a mindset coach, more of a life coach, um, you know, I've, I've got a coach at the moment who, you know, is an amazing guy who we both know, actually. Um, and he has, um, you know, been instrumental in helping us from a HubSpot perspective. So um, I think if you can succeed with one coach and you almost plateau with what they can teach you, you then look at other coaches that bring other elements to your life. And, you know, who I am today has been really shaped by these various coaches, but also, you know, mentors, people that have had successful businesses, they've sold them for hundreds of millions of dollars that I've happened to network with 
and they've been instrumental in helping me for free as, as just wanting to see me succeed. So, yeah. so I think everyone can win from having a coach, but it's not about finding just a coach to tick the box. It's about finding a problem or a challenge you're trying to solve and someone that's best at doing so. Yeah, that's a really good way to think about it. Yeah, I love the frame of reference. Um, <clears throat> two things you mentioned, hey, I came in as a blank slate. Um, and so, you know, we've been able to develop some unique ways uh, in which we operate. You also mentioned that you learned some things the hard way. I'd love to unpack those a little bit. What would you, is there anything that you still operationalize today that you feel is a little unique based on the blank canvas that, that you built upon? I think, I mean, everyone thinks they're unique, but there's always someone doing something similar end of the day. Like we, we think we're unique at the best of times. But I think if I were to say things that we do well, um, one of the things we've done really well is make our offering really easy to digest. When you're working in our market, we're, we're dealing a lot with mid-market and corporate um, clients. It's always, I guess, known to be, let's make this really complex. Let's make it really big. You know, it's a big scope. Let's go all out. And that's why we can justify our big pricing. However, we've gone the opposite and we've actually made our offering really modular, really easy. However, the complexity can fit within that framework. And that's allowed us to have less and less friction within the sales process. So, you know, working a lot with HubSpot growth specialists, especially, um, you know, they love the fact that our offering is really, really easy and efficient to work with. And it fits 90% of clients. So, so I think that's something that we're, we're quite unique within our, in our industry and it works quite well. But again, that complexity can come within that, that easy framework. Sure. Um, another thing to mention is, and it's a trap I've fallen into over the years is, hiring people too quickly and not doing my due diligence. So I've, I've had the fault of hiring people because they're really nice people. And mm. again, like these are people I still talk to today and they're amazing. However, they may not have had the right skills for what we needed at the time, or they weren't as advanced in their own career for what we genuinely need. So right. that meant, you know, to, we're, we're providing a great service to the client. However, you know, we might spend way more time than we need to on that service for the client. It costs us dearly from our bottom line. So, so I think hiring has become something that we've become really good at. And, you know, we often use really good recruiters that specialize in specific hiring roles. Um, sure. It costs a fortune. However, you always get that back if, if they do a great job. Um, so I think hiring is something that, you know, your, your people are everything. And I know that's quite cliche and you hear it quite regularly, but the trap is, you know, finding people that are really nice but, you know, and you get along with really well, but they're not a good fit. Right, right. Um, yeah, and you know what? I think uh, it's a cliche because it's true, right? So it's like, it just, it, it makes all the sense in the world. The right Hiring the right people at the right time just brings an immense value to the team, right? It's interesting that you mentioned, uh, yeah, you know, we're really good at uh, distilling down our service offering in like an easy framework or modular framework to digest. But it's easier said than done to be able to take complex technical concepts and speak them in layman's terms or in like easily concise, digestible nuggets. But that doesn't also sacrifice the complexity underneath the offering, right? Um, it's really, it's a really good point. Yeah, um, I mean, you, you, you see a Formula One car on the track and you can't even fathom what's going on within that, you know, computers, engines, but you see this really easy, sleek car with a driver's head bobbling out the top and we we've tried to have the same mindset with our services yeah um what would you have uh, no the other side the flip side of this question was uh what have you learned the hard way oh man it, process is everything and you know it's often an uphill battle to try and create processes in a business and there's always a question do you document process do you just have them in everyone's heads um you know we, we've had 
errors in the past where you know we had a psychology practice client where they weren't getting um, contact form inquiries for for months, um, and it was a bad series of events where the owner was in hospital and the staff didn't know. But there were people reaching out for help through that website, and they weren't getting it. And you know those things have scarred me to this day as things that have happened, and those things that happen, and that's just one of probably a several. That's where process is everything, you know, checklists. It's it's what are the steps, you know. A really great tool we use to map out our processes is Whimsical. Um, you know, it's a very mm. visual representation of your processes and that's something that we've, we've spent a lot of time on because you can write it till the nth degree and say Google Docs or whatever it may be, but it's not engaging enough for your staff to want to to use that repetitively. So with a combination of great staff, not just nice staff um, and processes, that's really going to ensure that you have the most success that you can and, and allow you to obviously scale. And, you know, um, as our as our reputation has grown, um, you know, that's been so critical because it's happened overnight. Um, yeah, um, it's uh, uh, process comes up all the time is like you can't you can't discount the importance uh, of of process, and you brought up a good point too. It's it's one thing to just like have it documented, but you need a team. Well, first off, you need to have it in a way that is engaging, like you can engage with it. But then you also need the team, the right team, uh, with the mindset in which like they're ready to execute upon the process. I would imagine feedback in you know a lens of improvement or optimization on the processes as well. Um, but that yes, that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, you imagine growth happened fairly fast. Obviously, modern visual. Uh, this year turned elite, um, hiring great people, documenting your process. Uh, what other, what other tips, tricks, any other partners, any other listeners here who are growth oriented, they have on their board that they want to make the elite tier at the HubSpot partner program. Like what else should they be aiming to, to replicate, uh, or, or find inspiration from modern visual story? I think um, re-emphasizing that the make your products easy to to buy and digest. Don't don't complicate the process just because it might seem like it's more valuable. It's going to be more valuable if it's an easy process of signing up with your agency, and that that also applies to working with the HubSpot growth specialist as well, right? Like they they have targets, we have targets. Um, you know that's important. So I think. You know, the biggest thing I would say as well, and this is a lesson where traditionally the business owner of the agency has been the center of attention. Um, they're, the, they're the person that does everything. They're in everything. The, the biggest thing I've done over time has been to remove myself from the day-to-day operations of the business. And for sure, you know, that, that comes down to having, again, amazing stuff. You know, you need to find amazing sales team members. We have a phenomenal sales team member here, Jeremy, who absolutely nails it every time he's so much better than me at converting and at sales um so and he you know he's actually got a, an olympic sailing background so he's from a high performance background and you know that comes down to using those great recruiters that specialize in finding great people so so i think you know delegating everything that you do operations sales marketing and that comes through obviously doing good work and charging accordingly for the value of what you do you can't afford good people unless you're charging correctly as well so there's almost this series of events that need to happen in chronological order um, to have that success so i think again like removing yourself from the business is the key you should work towards that every day um you can still be a part of the business and you might work on projects you know because some people are in fear they're going to turn into a blob that forgets what they even do. Um, but freeing yourself up to work on the strategy of the business, you know, that that's so value in itself. Having that bird's eye view, um, that's so critical. And when you're in the weeds, you just can't do that well. You don't sit down and stop and smell the roses. 
and work on improving and growing the business. It all comes down to luck if that's how you're doing it. Well, it makes sense that it's hard to work uh, on the business if you're working in the business, right? And so being able to remove yourself from the day-to-day operations, it sounds like long-term strategy planning, vision setting, execution, you know, more broadly. Uh, those are the things that then start to fill your plate. Um, your suggestion on uh, owners, founders, like they should be working towards that end state of removing them some, themselves from the day-to-day. What was the, at least for you, I bet it's different for everybody. What was the order of removal as it relates to responsibilities? What did you, what did you offload first? Yeah, so I offloaded sales first and I still do probably... of our sales um, here and there. I often get brought on to sales calls to, as I call it, kiss the baby. Um, You know, we want to show the client that we really care. So so our sales team will bring me onto a call where it's warranted. Um, I think sales was probably the first one. um, And then operations was second. So, um, you know, bringing Joe on as our general manager, who was my business coach, he's um, fully taking care of our operations. He's doing an amazing job at, at that. And, you know, he's working on not just the day-to-day uh, working with the team, but also building those processes even further to make us even more scalable. So so it was probably sales and operations second. Um, we did have a, a lot of challenges over the years finding good sales people, um, trying to hire organically. Again, they were nice people, but they, they probably just weren't that good at sell. We had a salesperson who wouldn't even get on the phone. They were too young and scared and they it wanted to. It feels like an important step of the process, yeah, to be able to do yeah. it. So we weren't that great at hiring in the early days. So I think, you know, again, find good people, remove yourself from the business as much as you can. You can still work in the business where you want, but it should be more of a choice versus needing to because, again, you can't free yourself up to grow the business. if you, It'll all be based on luck, like I said. Well, I was going to ask if it's almost like chicken or the egg. Are you uh, deciding what you want to offload from your day to day? Therefore, let's find the the great talent to fill that hole or based on the talent that you're able to source, find and hire, that would dictate, you know, what responsibilities you'd be able to offload. It's, it's What would normally come first? I've always had a sales first mindset. And the reason for that is because if we can grow our business, we can hire more good like great talent right. and then continue to grow and provide better services to our clients. So I think if you try and be the one doing the work and that, there's nothing wrong with that. Like there's a lot of freelancers out there and they want to do that for the rest of their lives. Um, but for me, I want to build something that's going to, you know, be a very large organization that's going to help as many people with what we do as possible, because I believe that what we're doing is great and we're very good at it. I want as many people to enjoy that as possible, many businesses to grow using our services as possible. So, so the way I do that is by saying to myself, you know, we need to sell as much as we can. And, you know, I, I started the business and I, I still have the mindset that passion comes first. Money's great. I've learned through buying nice cars and things like that. It doesn't change your life. It really doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think, you know, it, it all stems from that passion I had at an early age for computers and technology. That's at the heart of our business is, you know, is that. And then naturally we need that profit more so to grow and to, to do more of what we do for more people, literally. Um, you can see the passion for computers, technology, like even today, obviously we, we're look. I'm looking at the, uh, you know, the CRM implementation accreditation award, the services, the solutions that you offer. Uh, and so like the passion for like technology, like you can see it. it, it's manifested in the quality of services that you and your team offer. Is there anything that you knew was necessary to fold in, but, uh, you wouldn't classify as a passion. Like, what, do you have any necessary evils out there from like a s- service offering or like some layer to your operating model? Anything there that 
that isn't a passion, but it's definitely a necessary component to this whole thing? Oh, I mean, end of the day, I think probably half your business, if not more, has to be the necessary evils, right? Like, I'm not a spreadsheet guy. I hate numbers. I hate spreadsheets. Um, you know, all, all of those things. Like, I love working with people, but I also don't like the the psychology of working with more, more so in relation to, to staff because my downfall is I'm I'm trying to be everyone's friend versus trying to be their boss. So that's where someone like Joe running our operations is perfect because he's there to help all of our team members, you know, par- carve their career path and help them achieve what they want to achieve. Whereas I was more about being, as we say in Australia, their mate. Um, so so that's probably another downfall is, you know, I, I, I like I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a, a numbers person, but these are all absolutely integral parts of a successful business. So, you know, if I could be the guy in the corner building a computer or, you know, tinkering with some new code or something like that, I would be doing that. And not to say I'm a phenomenal coder, we have amazing developers here and solutions engineers on the software side, but I'm, I get excited about it. I'm not great at it, if that makes sense. And that's, I fall back to sales, which is probably where I shine the most. Well, I, I guess it's, it, maybe it's, maybe it's, I'm classifying it wrong. It's less about a necessary evil, but it's also like, yeah, just hiring and building remarkable talent based on your self-identified weaknesses. You're like, hey, yeah, I'm not a numbers guy. I don't want to like d- deal with the interpersonal components, or I know that there's somebody out there that could deal with the interpersonal layers of man- manager, like managerial relationships better. So it's hiring for folks to strengthen your own weaknesses versus, you know, looking at them as necessary evils. So I, I think I prefer your your kind of frame of reference on it. At the sure. end of the day, you you wake up every day and you spend eight to 10 hours working, you know, often in your business. Um, you want to enjoy that time. You know, you don't want to look back and go, I just spent the last 20 or 30 years hating my life. You know, I was doing it because I had to, and it was all about chasing the dollar. And so for me, I've programmed myself to set my day up to be something I enjoy. And sometimes that means I have a sporadic day off because I've delegated a lot of what's in the business. I might take my jet ski out. I might fly my drone for a few hours. You know, there's all these things that I do. And, you know, I might then work on a Saturday to make up for it. So I think molding your day to be the most enjoyable it can be for you and your family. I think that's really what it comes down to because, you know, is it work to live or live to work? I think we often forget that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole other episode to unpack just on that point alone of like work-life integration, work-life balance, right? Um, It's a really great point. It's a really great note. Um, We've talked about a few things that you found have worked well, uh, things to potentially emulate or use as a reference point if I'm looking to grow uh, my, you know, my agency or my, you know, services business. Anything uh, that you've done that like a word of caution for what shouldn't folks emulate? Uh, did you try something that didn't work so well? Did something slow the growth down? Uh, any any caution? Any caution for folks in that regard? Absolutely. There's two things there that come to mind immediately. I think number one, really qualify the clients that you want to work with. So, for example, we built a lot of the business around working with small business, but ultimately our processes and our team and even myself, we're just not set up to work well with small business. Um, you know, we're, we're more geared towards the mid-market and corporate market. You know, um, often business owners, um, you know, they, they're very time poor. Um, they're counting every dollar. That's fine for an agency that's geared that way. But I think really identifying who you're best suited to work with, whether it be small business, mid-market or corporate, or, you know, a bit of a mix, that that's one thing that I would do um, that's really important. Um, I think as well, you know, spinning too many plates at once is always going to end in disaster unless you're a large, large organization that can do it well. Mm-hmm. I think one of the mistakes we made was 
trying to offer too many services to too many people and just doing them all quite average. And and when I say average, I don't mean, you know, I've got very high standards. I don't mean like they were done badly, but I think what we've noticed is since we've really doubled down on that revenue operation space, you know, which is obviously just a mix of consulting and technology, mm-hmm. um, we've really become specialists. And that's just allowed us to really grow in a, in a big way because we're not trying to do so many things at once. You know, some things I'm personally good at, some I'm not like, I think that's the key is specializing and, you know, partnering with other agencies is a really big part of that. We've got a network of other HubSpot and non-HubSpot partner agencies that we work with and, um, you know, bringing the right experts at the right time. And, um, you know, we actually made a conscious decision, as I said earlier, to drop the marketing services and we've dropped a lot of reoccurring revenue to do that. But it was so fast to replace that revenue and more. It was not funny because we became a specialist. Mm -hmm. Um, So so that's probably the two things I would really focus on. Uh, Yeah, don't. uh, What is it? You said spinning plates. It makes a ton of sense. Um, yeah, right. It's like the on the unicycle, right, with all the plates. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like uh, jack of all trades, master of none, right? You spread yourself too thin versus like, what if we go all in on a focus, set of focused services, specialization, and really just knock it out of the park? Yeah, and it's not, just, it's not just having the people. You can have the great people to do that work, but you've got to market that. You've got to sell that. Like that's half of it. So, so that's, yeah, it has to be the business as a whole. Yeah. Um, now, let me ask you this. Um, you're not the only partner I'm talking to with uh, just such a commitment to, you've mentioned RevOps, we've mentioned technology. Uh, uh, for folks that uh, don't come from the same background or same passion, uh, what's the best way to, to make that pivot for their own business? How can others be more technologically minded or offer more technologically based services, tech stack consultancy, things like that. Any any recommendations on upskilling in that regard? The, the very first thing I would say is the HubSpot Academy has some phenomenal lessons and, and training around RevOps, around tech stack consulting. You know, I, I was chatting to Artie. A Are you while just ago. giving me a cheap plug? Are you just giving my team a cheap plug uh, on that? I wish I was, but it's sincere. Um, oh, okay. All right. Yeah, like genuinely, um, you know, the, the Academy has been instrumental for like a lot of our team, especially our marketing manager for understanding what the team actually do. You know, we've got tech guys here that sit in the background and um, they may not explain to our marketing manager the best way about how they do what they do. So so the Academy dumbs that down and makes it really easy to learn. So, yeah. so that's, that's a big part of it. I think that's a great starting point if you're looking to branch out into new services and you know obviously the market adapts and changes over time you know we rode the wave early days of people that didn't have responsive websites so that was a big thing that we did and we grew on that then the next wave was social media management everyone was telling their neighbor oh gee you've got to be on on facebook or else you're missing out so we rode that wave so the current wave and the future wave is all about revenue operations that's very current right now so i think if you're not looking at that you're really missing out and the best way, as I said, to learn, I think the academy and then it all comes back to hiring the right people, whether it be sales team members that have had that experience, whether it be, you know, senior developers. And, you know, hiring is not the easiest thing at the moment to do. Um, however, leaning on and investing in, you know, take a cut from your lifestyle, take a cut from something else and put that money into a great recruiter. recruiter um, spend the $20,000, whatever your recruiter is going to cost you. Um, that, that's the way that we've done it. It's not maybe the only way, but that's what we've done. Yeah, it's, there's a couple different ways to tackle it. And it's, yeah, well, yes, um, leverage some training resources for yourself to upskill. But again, we're going back to prioritizing great hires uh, to fill in potential gaps, self-identified gaps, right? So uh, find the folks that can help, uh, you know, build those services for your team. That's great. You have, you have to believe in it too. You can't just say, oh, we want to do this and then not be conscious of it. I think you have to deeply entrench yourself in wanting to do something 
or it's just not going to happen. Uh, I love the note on waves. You've mentioned RevOps is the wave we're riding right now. If you if you had to, I don't know if you're a gambling man. I don't know if you bet, but if you had to make a bet, what's the next? What's the next wave? I think the next wave, and it, actually, it's probably my staff that have brought this up with me. We think that AI is going to be more and more of a thing. Um, I've I've also got another business in the in the hosting space. We do a lot with AI in the cloud and things like that. And I think that you know the actual the, the worker bee or the labor component of say even like a HubSpot onboarding is going to become more and more automated and seamless. So I think coming down, it's going to come down to selling your thoughts and your expertise. The labor component over time is going to be less and less. I could imagine websites are going to build and design themselves um, more and more over time. Content so, will be AI written content, right? Uh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. We're, we're already seeing blogs being written themselves right. and they're fluently written. So, so I think selling your expertise, your knowledge, your thoughts is going to be the key. And I think our pivot to being more of a RevOps and a consulting firm has been, you know, really tied into that thought process. So we're, we're always trying to stay ahead of the curve now because I did, you know, I was, sorry, conscious of those, those waves along the way. So I think if you're on an adventure, you, you know, you're probably not going to be conscious of that. But I think if you get more strategic about, you know, where you're heading and that, that, that's obviously going to be super helpful. Yeah, no, I uh, love the prediction. I mean, it sounds like we're already starting to see some of it. Uh, it makes a ton of sense. Uh, Luke, we're, we're getting close on time. Uh, I do wrap every episode with this question, so we'll, we'll squeeze it in before we wrap. What is the strangest part of agency life? <laughs> the strangest part of agency life? I think the strangest part of agency life is, um, especially being the owner of an agency, it, it really comes down to not, like I don't have a job. And I think with the things going on with remote work and you know everyone um, doing a bit more flexible things these days. I think staff as well feel like you know you're just floating around. Like if you're a tra- if you're like in construction, you're a tradesman or woman or whatever it may be. I think that you you know you have to go somewhere every day and you have to do a job and then you have to drive home. I think agency life with this new normal we now have, you know, you go to the post office during the day. You might walk your dog along the beach, like. I feel like that's a really strange concept for a lot of people <laughs> these days. Like everyone probably feels like more of a business owner working in an agency just with that flexibility. And I know that that's not every agency, but, but I'm, I know still, what you mean, yeah. I'm still weirded out by that feeling of freedom and flexibility that I've given my team, but also I have as well. So hopefully that's a good answer for that. I don't know if it's the right it one. Definitely but is. And I mean, yeah. you mentioned going to the beach or walking your dog about halfway through this episode, you just subtly dropped like, yeah, some days I just like to take the jet ski out. So, you know, I, right. you know, there's, balance comes in many ways yeah and i encourage my team to do the same thing like as long as the work's getting done to produce you know the outcomes a business needs like go and live your life like that's what we're about like humans are here to live like yeah it's not just flexibility that agency life can allow in today's day and age yeah uh, it's yeah it's just so weird compared to what i had working in a factory where i had to turn up every day it was a grind um i don't think that's the way that anyone should live yeah. Uh, you know, that was a great way to put a bow on and to bring it right all the way back to the beginning. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but that's a good bow. So I think we'll wrap it there. Uh, Luke, appreciate you dialing in from your Friday morning for my Thursday evening. Thanks for sharing your story. Uh, so insightful. Uh, loved hearing about all the successes. Uh, so very much appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much. Thanks, Kevin. You get to those beers. <laughs> yes, I, that's exactly right. It's time. Uh, so I'll do that. Uh, but for everybody that is tuned in, This has been another episode of Agency Unfiltered.